Welcome to the Prophecy Club. Today we're going to be talking about the chronological order of Revelation. However, let me take just a second and just talk to you for a second. I wanted to bring you a teaching on the difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne, because to tell you the truth, before I memorized the book of Revelation, I didn't really understand the difference myself. And so if I didn't, being a prophecy student of many years, probably most people don't. And that's actually real important. And there's things like that is the reason that so many people get so tangled up with prophecies. I believe that's one of the reasons that there's so many people that believe a pre-trib rapture. It's not that they're mean or evil people. They just lack information. And some of that information I have. But this information is having to do with the feasts. Now, here's my problem. I want to bring you the understanding between the judgment seat and the great white throne. I want to bring you understanding about the revelation. <laughs> I want to bring you understanding about the rapture. I want to bring you a lot of different understandings, but I find it very difficult to explain a complex matter if you don't have the basics. And here's the problem. Most of us... Gentile Christian Western <laughs> Christians, we don't we don't understand the feasts. We just we don't follow the feasts. We haven't studied them, and so consequently, I can't begin to explain some of the more finer things, the, some of the more important things about Bible prophecy, because I'm afraid you don't understand the feasts. So, before I start talking about the Great White Throne and the Judgment Seat of Christ, before I start explaining how the Rapture really works. Let me first go through and explain the feasts. And here's another problem. I can go through the feasts in 10 minutes, but that doesn't mean you know them. That doesn't mean you understand them, because truly, to understand the feasts, we have to live them. And there is the rub, because us typical American, Western, Gentile Christians, <laughs> we don't even study the feasts. We sure don't keep them. So consequently, I, I can't understand, let me rephrase it, I can't get you to understand some of the more deeper things of Scripture until you understand the feasts. Okay, so that becomes my problem. I want to get into the chronological order of Revelation. I want to get into some of the really, really good stuff you'll, you really want to know. But I can't do that until you understand the feasts. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, I guess I need to take a second more and explain one of my weaknesses. My weakness is I'm always afraid that I'm going to bore people. I'm afraid that they're going to turn me off. And so I try to put across as much information as I possibly can per minute. Now, sometimes people like that, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they can't absorb it as fast as I'm spitting it out. I understand that, especially when it comes to the feasts. So what I'm going to do today is go through and I'm going to try to stay to just the basics. And I'm going to explain the feasts and I'll probably have to back up and explain them again. I might have to back up and explain them a third time. But this is where I'm asking for patience. I'm asking you to stick with me all the way through this. Because when I can explain the feasts, when you understand the feasts, then I can take you in a lot of places that I can't take you to until you know the feasts. So you have to know the feasts. So that's the first thing I'm going to do today. I'm going to teach you the feasts. 
but probably not like you've heard ever before. Okay, so you're going to be asking the question, Stan, do you keep the feasts? No. Well, why are you expecting us to keep the feasts? Well, wait a minute. I'm not expecting you to keep the feasts because the whole point of the feasts is not to get to heaven. Nobody gets to heaven by keeping the feasts. That's not the point. Okay, so then what is the point of the feast, Stan? The point of the feasts is to show Jesus to the Jews. Let me say it again. The point of the feasts is to show Jesus to the Jews. Because when they see Jesus through the feasts, when they see the secret door, they're going to have to conclude that, yes, Revelation is of God. If Revelation is of God, then Jesus must be the Messiah. There's no other way to get around it. But it all starts with a feast. Now, Stan, aren't you supposed to keep the feast? Wait a minute. I'm not getting into that argument. I do keep the feasts loosely. I don't keep them, how should I say, hard. I don't try to make certain that every, every, every little thing is kept. Because that's getting under the law. That's getting out of freedom. That's getting into bondage. Now, what do I keep? Well, again, if I get into that, then I'm not going to be able to, to do... To, I, I can't take you where I want to take you. So I understand. I mean, we moved our Wednesday Bible study years and years and years ago over to Friday night because that's keeping the Friday Sabbath. In case you're not aware, it's okay to have a Sunday morning service. It's okay to have a Monday morning service. It's okay to have a Wednesday or a Thursday service. It's just that we should keep the Sabbath holy that starts at Friday sundown. Well, that's why we have our Friday night Sabbath Bible study. So we keep the feasts loosely. We observe Passover, but we don't keep them real, real hard. Because, again, the point of the feasts is to show Jesus to the Jews. So if you've already found Jesus, then you don't really need the feasts. Well, then why are you so uh, caught on us learning the feasts? Because if you want to know prophecy... If you want to understand the chronological order of Revelation, you must first understand the feast. So, let's get started into the PowerPoint. This is where I want to go. I probably won't get to the chronological order of Revelation today. The book of Revelation is not in chronological order. Can't tell you how many arguments I've heard people get in over the book of Revelation. Oh, no, this goes first. This goes there. No, this can't. Because, because... They don't understand the secret door that's in the book, and they don't understand the feasts. The feasts are the pattern. So, now, this is the feasts along the bottom. Here, let me show you this. Let me grab my mouse here. Okay, all along here, this is the feast. One, two, three, four, five, six, way up here, and then seven. These are the feasts. This is the pattern. Then above, I have linked the feasts, excuse me, I've linked the revelator, the, the prophecies to the feasts. So that is the whole pattern. Now, if I didn't get off of that, I can talk for several hours about just that chart. But if I start trying to explain it at this point, most of you, it will be over your head. You won't understand it because you don't understand the feasts. So the first thing we have to do is go to C-Spot Run. Let me explain the feast. Okay, now for those of you that say, oh, yeah, 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 I know the feast. Well, you probably don't know them like how I'm about to explain. So it's very important to try to concentrate, to stay with me. Because if you can just get these feasts, I can take you into some exciting places in prophecy. Okay, 
So first, the feast. The first feast is Passover. We all know the story. This is where Moses put the blood on the doorposts, all the children of Israel, and then the death angel passed over them, and the firstborn died that night. That was the ending of the curses, and that was the beginning of the blessing. Passover. Passover is a very, very Jewish thing. Passover doesn't have anything to do with the Gentiles uh, until Jesus arrives, of course. And, of course, he fulfilled that feast. That ought to tell us that they're real important. So let me first go to explaining the basics of Leviticus 23.4. These are the feasts of the Lord. Now, Michael Rood corrected me. He said, these are not Jewish feasts. Because <laughs> I was calling them Jewish feasts. He said, no, no, no. He said, these are the feasts of the Lord means that if you follow the Lord, you keep these feasts. Again, I do, loosely. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Okay, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations. What's a convocation? It's a meeting. It's a fancy word for meeting. Even holy convocations. So they're supposed to be holy meetings. Again, when I get through this, then I'll show you what all the, the feasts mean. But first, let's make certain we understand Passover. Passover was the blood on the doorpost. Passover fulfilled the second time was when Jesus was crucified in the afternoon and then he had to be in the grave before Passover started that night because he was the Passover lamb sacrifice. Verse 5, in the 14th day of the first month at even, in other words, at sundown, the way we Western Gentiles would say it, in the 14th day, the 14th, 14th, at the 14th day of the first month, at even, or at sundown, is the Lord's Passover. It starts at sundown. Now, we got that one. Let's move to the next one. This is a pretty simple one here. The next one is unleavened bread. Leviticus 23.6, on the 15th day of the same month, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, why do they call it unleavened bread? Well, because, let's back up, because here we go. Uh, after the sun went down, of course, they had the blood on the doorpost. They ate the lamb. Now, we're talking about in the days of Moses. Then about midnight was when the, the, uh, the, the Pharaoh called in Moses. He had lost his first son, and he told Moses to get up and get out. And that's when Moses sent the children of Israel out to borrow gold, silver, and raiment in great abundance. And they had to leave that very night. So for them, unleavened bread began at about midnight, the Bible says. But it said that they didn't have time to let their dough rise. They didn't have time to leaven their bread. So they threw their leavening boards, whatever they were, that they kept their, their bread in, on their shoulders. And they carried it out. And it's a picture of getting the sin out. Why? Because three days later, they're going to be walking through the Red Sea. If they want that ice to remain ice and not water and drown them, they have to be perfect. They have to be clean. So unleavened bread, here it is. This is a picture of getting the sin out of our life. Very good idea. And the Jews do it every year. They throw all of the leaven, anything with leaven out of their house. I think it's funny because some of them will take it over to the friend's house. Will you keep this for me for seven days? And then they come back and get all the leaven stuff. So, I mean, that's observing it, but that's not the, the spirit of it, okay? On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Please, 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 please. You you got to listen. I, I know to the Western Gentile mind, we, we just want to roll our eyes, turn the channel. You got to stay with me. If you don't understand this, I can't take you to the deep, exciting things in prophecy. You concentrate. 
Focus. <laughs> Get this down. Feast of the unleavened bread are the seven days you must eat the unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have an, okay, another here. Unleavened bread is a picture of Jesus because his, his body had no sin, you see. So it's a picture of getting the sin out of our life. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation or a holy meeting. You shall do no servile work, so you're not supposed to work in it or serve anybody. But you shall offer an offering made by fire in the Lord seven days, and the seventh day is a holy meeting, convocation. You shall do no work or servile work therein. Okay, so it's a picture of living seven days with no leaven or seven days with no sin. That's where he's trying to take them. Now, let's go to the next one. Please, again, focus, concentrate, get this down so I can take you some exciting places in prophecy. All right, the third one is first fruits. Now, first fruits was the day that Moses held up the rod, the east wind came and blew back the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry ground. First fruits was the day that Moses and the children of Israel left the land of Egypt or the land of sin and crossed through the Jordan, you might say, or crossed through death, crossed through from death into life, representing the new promised land on the other side. This was also the day that Jesus arose. He was three days in the heart of the earth. And no one took his life. He laid it down. I lay it down. I take it up. I have the keys of hell and death. And for, so first fruits was when Jesus arose from the dead. And that's when also there was other saints that also graves arose on the same day. And they were seen walking around Jerusalem. However, this is the first harvest very, very important. Now, this is what the scriptures. First, let me talk, teach you the, the, the feasts here, okay? Leviticus 23, 9. And you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf. All right, now, what's a sheaf? Well, if you go out and you just grab a bunch of, 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 of barley, and you take your sickle and you go whack, that's a sheaf. But after you shake the barley out, it comes out to about a handful. So it's a small amount. It's just a little sampling. That's all it is. So he, he, he says, bring a sheaf of the first fruits. Now, we know this is barley. It doesn't say barley. Then Stan, how do you know it's barley? Because barley is the only thing that oh, ripens this early in the year. This is like April. What ripens in April? Well, certainly not the wheat and nor the grapes. Okay, so what is it? The only thing that ripens that early is the barley. So barley is representative, or it is a picture of the Jews. Let's go on. Bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf. Okay? Waves the sheaf before the Lord. Why? He's saying thank you. He's giving this to the Lord. And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf a he lamb. This is very important. A he lamb without blemish of the first year. Now, it played once in the days of Moses. It played every year after that. But on the year that Jesus was born, it played different because he was the lamb that represented the first year lamb of the first year for a burn off. Jesus was the Passover lamb. So it represented Jesus as the Passover lamb. However, it's also a second picture of the 144,000, which I'll explain in a minute. So he says, and you shall offer that day, you have waved a sheaf or a small amount uh, of, the, of the first fruits of the barley and a lamb without blemish of the first year. Now, that's really, really, really important to catch that of the first year. 
why. I'm going to explain in a second. Now, let's go back and refresh. Okay, so make sure you got it. Passover, Jesus crucified. Passover, Moses leaves, heading to the Red Sea. Unleavened bread, they toss the unleavened bread on their shoulders and they walk out. And they're walking for three days down to, and then on first fruits, they cross over. And on first fruits, Jesus comes out of the grave. Got that so far? That's really, really, really important if you want to understand where we're going. All right, now the next one is where all of the sparks start to fly. Let me back up and, and show you something here. These first three have to do with the Jews. This one, Pentecost, does not have to do with the Jews. As a matter of fact, yeah, Pentecost came first with the Jews in the upper room. But as you recall, they didn't receive it. Matter of fact, that's the reason the, the beast came down and the sheet and the, the gospel went from the Jews over to the Gentiles with Cornelius and all that sort of stuff. And if you go back and read in back in Deuteronomy, back when the, the children of Israel came out of the Red Sea and they went up to the Mount Sinai and all that sort of stuff, what what happens on Pentecost? What happens? Well, that's the marriage. So this is the picture of a marriage. We, again, we'll get to that. I keep wanting to jump ahead. Okay, now let's uh, continue reading. Let's read Leviticus twenty three fifteen, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. From that day ye brought forth, or brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. What's seven Sabbaths? Well, a Sabbath is seven. So seven times seven is 49 days, even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number 50 days. So that's telling us that from first fruits right here over to Pentecost is exactly 50 days. Now that's important. Hang on to that. See, because the first fruits is largely for the Jews. But the Pentecost, well, what happened on the day of Pentecost? That's when the Holy Spirit arrived in the upper room. And so Pentecost is largely, but not solely, but it's largely about the Gentiles. All right, so verse 17. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals of fine wheat flour. It doesn't say wheat, but we know it's wheat. Wheat flour, they shall be a fine flour, and they shall be bacon. Now look at this, they're important. With leaven. With leaven. See, because back over here, this was not added anything to it. it was just, they just added water. So when you take a, a sheaf of barley, you add a little water, not, and they're not, not add, allowed to add any leaven, add a little water, maybe a little oil to it. It makes, you know, kind of a, a large cookie-type-looking affair when you bake it. But over here, very different. This is important. So you get two tenth deals of flour. What's a tenth deal? Well, actually, that's about two liters. It's actually six uh, six cups. So take two two-liter bottles filled with wheat flour, and you add leaven. Now, that's important to add leaven. What does that mean? Well, that means it rises, but in the next segment, that's actually going to be very, very important. So you got two two-liter, uh, tenth of deals of flour, fine flour. You add probably water and oil and leaven. And then you cook these. What does that make? That makes two large, um, probably about the size of medium to, to large watermelon size uh, bread loaves. 
that again is very it's important that you notice it's two. It's important that you notice that it's with leaven. Those are the two kings, the key things there. These are the first fruits unto the Lord. And you shall reap the harvest of your land, and thou shall this is important too. Thou shall not make a clean riddance of the corners of thy field. That's gonna be important in just a second. When thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of the harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So the poor and the stranger got to eat the corners of the field. Now let me back up. I want to make certain you get this. It's very important. First fruits, barley, Jews. A lamb also with that blemish of the first year. Say that with me. Of the first year. That's important. Then 50 days later is Pentecost. First fruits is mostly for the Jews. Pentecost is mostly, but not entirely, but mostly for the Gentiles. And this one, it's not just a handful of barley flour. Instead, it's two large two-liter bottles of fine wheat flour with leaven. So it makes two giant loaves of wheat flour. And they're told not to make a clean riddance of all of the corners of the field. That's going to be important. Now, in this, it's talking about the wheat. And this is where the parable of the tares and the wheat come in. If you look at the picture, on the left, you see what the wheat looks like. On the right, you see what a tear looks like. And that's the reason you say they can't tell the tares from the wheat until harvest time. Because in harvest time, if you look at the picture to the left, you see as they grow up and they get heavy, because they have fruit, they bend over. It means the wheat bend over. So the wheat have fruit. But a tear, on the other hand, generally doesn't. This particular tear has a little bit larger seed than most of them. But most of the tares... It's just little bitty seeds, and they just stick straight up. You can't tell the difference, in most cases, between a tare and a wheat until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, the wheat has all bent over because it all has fruit. But a tare sticks straight up. So that's the reason it says the farmer goes in, and the first thing he does is he removes all of the tares. Why? Because if one of those seeds from the tare gets into the bar or gets into the wheat, it makes it very bitter. So you don't want any tears in there. They're more concerned with making certain that no tears get in there than they are rounding up all of the wheat. It's very important. Do not let one seed of that tear get in. So they gather first the tears, carefully bind them into bundles, cast them into the fire. They make certain all of that tear is burned. Every leaf, every stalk, every seed, they do not want any tears. Then after the tears are burned, then it's safe. Then they go out and they gather the wheat into the barn. If just one little seed of that tear gets in and ground up with that wheat, it makes the wheat bitter. It's terrible. So they don't want to have any wheat. All of this, this speaks, Matthew thirteen thirty. Gather you first the tares, bind them into bundles, cast them into the fire. Then gather wheat into the barn. That does away with the pre-trib rapture, and there's lots more when you understand this. Pre-trib rapture is just a misunderstanding uh, it's a lack, and it starts with not understanding these feasts. Now let's go to the next feast, and I'll probably have to continue this in the next video, but I will. It's, more, it's important you get these down. So the fifth feast is trumpets. This is an offering by fire, Leviticus twenty three twenty three, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month shall you have a Sabbath, 
a memorial of blowing trumpets. As you go back and look into Exodus, when the children came out of the Red Sea and they went up to the most, uh, the the uh, the Mount Sinai and all that sort of stuff, there is an occasion where they talk about blowing of trumpets. But that's all they do. They just blow trumpets. Why? Because this particular feast is not about the Jews. This particular feast is primarily, again, like Pentecost. This is dealing with the Gentiles. Now, I'm going to show you another feast here in just a second, dealing almost only with the Jews. But this one is primarily for the Gentiles. In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing trumpets, and a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So this has no wheat, has no barley, it has no lamb. All they do is blow a trumpet and have an offering made by fire. This is very, very, very important. This is when the grapes come ripe. This is the grape harvest. This is when Jesus returns on the Mount of Olives. We'll get to that in just a second. Then we go to the sixth feast, and that is the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 23, 26 says, On the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a Day of Atonement. Atonement means, as you, as you sow, so also shall you reap. As you have done to others, that's what's done to you. It's, it's a balancing of our good works against our bad works. That's atonement. There should be a day of atonement. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it shall be that shall not be afflicted. In other words, this is a day of punishment. In that same day, you shall cut off from among his people. This is atonement. This is an offering by fire too. But an atonement where the things we've done good are balanced against the things we have done bad. Finally, the seventh one. Now, I know there's other feasts, but this is all we're going to talk about. Leviticus 23, 23 is talking about, the Bible calls it the Feast of Booths because they were commanded to go out and build a booth. But we call it trump, or tabernacles. On the 15th day of the seventh month, shall you, the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. And you shall take into the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches and palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook, and you shall dwell in booths seven days. So they go out and they make themselves a little booth, a, little, uh, a lean-to, or similar to what you'd call a tent. And they're supposed to live in this for seven days. Why? That's supposed to remind them of the days that they came out of Egypt. But I'm going to show you this means something entirely awesome when it comes to the last days. So in conclusion, let me encourage you to do a couple of things. I've been called of God to raise up an army of prophecy teachers working miracles. And the way we're going to do that is from July 29 to August 2, here in Dallas, we're going to have the Sevenfold Miracle Crusades. And this is what we want to do. There's a lot of things we're going to do. Get you filled with the Holy Spirit, lay hands, but basically the two biggest things we want to do. I want to lay hands on you and anoint you with uh, oil. <laughs> this is yellow crude oil, so we won't put crude oil on you, but we do. <laughs> I thought I had some oil laid right there. Anyway, well, I'll lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, and I'll pray that you get the revelation spirit that I got when I memorized the book of Revelation as confirmed by Andre Bronkhorst. He said, I have that gift. 
and I can pass it on. Lastly, I also will anoint you with honor oil and pray that you receive a prophetic gifting so that you can hear the voice of God. And also, she's going to walk you through her school of the prophets. I'm going to teach you how to understand Bible prophecy and the two prophecy charts. Why? Because when the trouble hits, there can be a lot of people that are looking for answers. And God is going to send them to you. And you want to be able to, to give them an answer about prophecy. You want to be able to walk in sevenfold miracles because a great time <clears throat> like mankind has never seen is about to come upon the earth. That happens at the Sevenfold Miracle Crusades. Go to sevenfoldmiraclecrusades.com and get signed up. And by the way, when you get signed up, please stay at the Hyatt. It helps us to form the crusade. Besides that, you probably don't have time to go other places. Anyway. And also get the meal package. It's a good deal. It's a good deal. helps us put the thing together. Also, <clears throat> if you are thinking about getting some kind of precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, rhodium, whatever it might be, this guy is a prophecy student. Cornerstone Asset Metals, Terry Saka, and he he wants to get the word out. So what better place to be able to get your precious metals than cornerstoneassetmetals.com? Tell them Prophecy Club sent you. Also, <clears throat> let me ask you two questions. What would you do if you had to tell someone the most important question, important, important information in the world, but you knew they wouldn't believe you? Well, if you're listening right now, probably you'd say, I'll tell them anyway. Okay, that brings us to the second question. What is the most important information in the world? Well, the most important information to do is to accept Jesus. The most important thing not to do <clears throat> is do not take the mark of the beast. Absolutely, positively, do not take the mark of the beast. If you take the mark of the beast, you cannot repent of it. So let me explain. There's actually four things we do not want to do. We do not want to worship the beast or his image, if you look over to the left. In other words, we do not bend the knee. We do not worship the beast or his image. And then there's three stamps that we can take. We do not take the mark. We do not take the name of the beast or the number of his name. Do not do any of those. If you do that, there's three groups of people. When everything's said and done, the first group of people are those people whose name is in the book of life. They go to heaven, eternity. Second, if their name is not in the book of life, they're tossed into the lake of fire and brimstone, and they get soul death. They will be as though they had not been. The third group of people are those people who take the mark, and this is the scriptures where it's talking about it, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up day and night, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast or his image, or whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So you do not want to take the mark of the beast. But then there's nine deceptions that the devil is about to bring on the world. And in this book, Miss the Mark, I explain those deceptions. See, he's not coming after the Muslims. He's not coming after the Buddhists. He's not coming after the Satanists. He's, he's coming after us. He's coming after those people that have read Revelation 13. We are the number one enemy. The Bible says if it were possible, it would deceive even the very elect. But what I suggest you do is you get this book, and the first thing you do is read it. It's a simple book. It takes you about three hours to read it. Not bad at all. But then when you read this, this is what people are saying, they get motivated. They go out and hand it out. So how do you get someone to read it? I suggest you ask them the two questions. What would you do if you had to tell someone the most important information in the world? And what is the most important information in the world? And hand them this book. Oh, they may not read it right then, but it's okay. Because down the road, you still handed it to them. At some point, you'll be able to talk to them or be able to hand them that book. 
That's extremely important. You get that at prophecyclub.com, one for $20, but don't do that. We offer them in shrink wrap sets of 10. One set of 10, 30. Two sets of 10, 45. Four sets for $40. <clears throat> this is what we believe is the mark of the beast, either a yellow one or a red one or either one. We're not certain of the colors, but we now have three people that confirm that this is what it looks like. Ken Peters and Estonia Lewis I played her on the radio last week. And there's another guy, Adam uh, Andrew Harris, that also says, and he sent me a signed piece of paper, draw it out what he saw, and this is what he saw too. So we've actually got three people saying that's what the mark of the beast looks like. This is what it looks like on the hand of the forehead. This is what it looks like if it's the number of the beast. The number of the beast looks like a swirl, and that means 666. Next thing is, Back in about 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation, and I started getting revelations. I got 30 revelations and two visions and an audible voice, which I put in the book. One of the visions showed me <clears throat> that there is a secret door that links the feasts of Leviticus 23 to the prophecies of Revelation 14.4, specifically the prophecies of Revelation, but the word is first fruits. And when you link those two together, for the first time, you can put the prophecies in Revelation in correct chronological order. See, they're, they're not written in chronological order. So this is actually, this book is the key to understanding the prophecies of Revelation. That's why the name is The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. If you want to understand Bible prophecy, this book is a must. Not complicated, but it is deep. One prophetic word said it this way. There's a lock I put over a word of the book of Revelation that I'm going to open to you. And it will turn many books written on the end time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Now, one for 20, but don't do that either. Five for 30, 10 for 55. You get a case for of 60 for $250. You get the books at prophecyclub.com. Now, if you want to go to heaven, here's the way you get there. John 3.16 says you can have everlasting life. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, so it says it's a grace or it is by grace or a free get, gift to get eternal life. And then we need to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the dead. Pray with me and I'll see you in heaven. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, I admit I'm a sinner and I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is the Christ. Died on the cross, arose three days later, his blood washes me and my sins away, writes my name in the book of life, and keeps me holy and saves me in the day of trouble. In Jesus' name, amen. Send us a note and let us know that you just prayed that. Ask Stan at prophecyclub.com.